Good morning. <laughs> We're going to finish up our series today, heading toward Christmas, thinking about gifts. Today I'd like to talk about myrrh for Christmas. Let me ask you this question. When you look back in your memory, what's the most memorable Christmas gift for you? Maybe it came in your childhood, or perhaps as an adult, you received one of those most memorable gifts. For me, I have two memories. One as an early teen, and one as a new husband. As a teen, perhaps I was about 14, I received a new winter coat with a fur lining and a hood. I think I looked like Nanook of the North. But boy, was that a nice thing to have in Pennsylvania in the middle winter. Kept me very warm. Also, I got a hockey game with that same Christmas. We know one of those with the rods in the between, and boy, I, I played that to death. Then as an adult, Leoni bought me a present that sat under the tree. It was about this big and about like this, and it looked like it was a big round ball, and she wrapped it. And I, the one thing you know about me, if you've been around me, is at Christmas time, I like to try to guess what my Christmas presents are. I know, I'm a bad person. What can I say? I could not guess what that Christmas present was. She wouldn't let me touch it. I couldn't pick it up. Nothing. All I could do is look at it. It turned out to be a big red beanbag chair. <laughs> Very memorable gift, to say the least. So what about you? We've been focusing on gifts as we head toward Christmas, and today is the soft and soothing gift of comfort. It's myrrh for Christmas. The past two weeks, we've covered six simple gifts that God gave us that were wrapped in the gift of his son and laid in the manger. We talked about the golden gifts, the opportunity for our past, forgiveness of our sins, help for our present, the Holy Spirit, and hope for our future, our heavenly home. We talked about the frankincense gifts, the physical gifts, the material gifts, and the spiritual gifts, the Bible and the church. So today, as we bring this to a close, I've saved the best for last, as it might be, the greatest gift of all. I'd like to consider Christ, since he was what Christmas is all about. So today I'd like to read two verses in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Our great and awesome God, this morning... We read those two verses and think about the names that Jesus would be recognized by. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. That's our Savior. I pray this morning, Lord, we'll recognize just how wonderful the name of Jesus really is. What Jesus did for us by you sending him, the life he lived, the price he paid. I pray we'll understand this wonderful gift in a mightier way today. We know myrrh was given, Lord, representing a gift for a prophet. And prophets, we know, Lord, were many times abused. They could understand the soothingness and the comfort that came from something like myrrh, that oily substance to be wiped upon their wounds. And we know Jesus was truly wounded for us. So we may understand this morning the comfort and the soothing relief that comes from myrrh. As we talk about myrrh for Christmas today and the three blessed gifts that we receive because of Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you, this might sound like a silly question, but do you believe in Jesus? Perhaps a better question is this. Does the world believe in Jesus? And how much? In an article presented by Time Magazine just a few years ago, they presented a top ten list of heroes and icons. This is how the list went. Number one on the list, Michelle Obama. Number two, Chesley B. Sullenberger. Number three was Richard Phillips. Then Seth Berkeley, Michael Evis, Leonard Abbas, Hadizatu Mani, Rick Warren, Van Jones, and Somali Mam. Now, I don't know about you, but I know very few of these people. How about you? I recognize two people on the list. I wonder... How a list like that of influential heroes and icons could be made and Jesus is not in the top ten. Do you wonder why? If you were to ask an average person on the street who is the most influential person of all time, I wonder what they would say and who they would name. We would hope that some would say Jesus Christ, but in our day and time you might get all kinds of crazy answers. In fact... Here are what some people think about Jesus. Dallas, Texas, someone in Dallas, Texas said this, when the going gets tough, the weak get religion. Faith and religion are two very different things and can never be reconciled. Faith is good and very much a personal thing. Religion is the source of most misery and very much a public affair. The differences are obvious, except to the stupid and their keepers. Okay. Redmond, Washington. I think Jesus might have been a good person in his time. Today, he is a monument to the stupidity of Christmas. I'm scared, excuse me, of Christians, but it kind of fits in there anyway. And then from St. Louis, Missouri. The truth is, there's tons of evidence supporting Jesus, the Bible, and creation. You can find links to scientists and historians who have written books and run museums about scientific and historical evidence for Jesus, the Bible, and creation. 
Now perhaps if I wasn't introduced to Christ as a child and began following Jesus as a young man and have spent much time in reading and study and preaching about Jesus, I might be inclined to believe, as some of these people do, that Jesus is just a nice guy, a good teacher, a prophet who lived and died, but the Son of God? No way. Absolutely not. And it's hard to convince some people the truth of all truths. And how can we convince others about the truth of Jesus Christ? Everything starts with faith in the living God. If you can't convince a person there is a living God who created the heavens and the earth, then it's pretty hard to convince them that the message of the Bible is about Jesus is true. It's that simple. Preacher Vance Havner said, I came to Christ as a country boy. I did not understand all about the plan of salvation. One doesn't have to understand it. He has only to stand on it. I do not understand all about electricity, but I do, intend, I do not intend sitting around in the dark until I do. Sounds like great advice. So today, I'd like us to consider the gift of Christ, since he is what Christ. Christmas is all about, and may we find the soothing and comfort of myrrh for Christmas. Three important facts I want to talk about today, about Jesus. And the first one is this. Christ, who he is. Who is Jesus? A burglar broke into a home. He was looking around, and he heard a soft voice. Jesus is watching you. I think it was just his imagination that he continued his search. And again, the voice said, Jesus is watching you. And he turned his flashlight around and saw a parrot in a cage. And he asked the parrot if he was the one talking, and the parrot said yes. And he asked the parrot what his name was. And the parrot said Moses. And the burger asked what kind of people would name a parrot Moses. And the parrot said, the same kind of people who would name their pit bull Jesus. <laughs> who is Jesus? Well, we know he certainly is not a pit bull. He was human and yet God in the flesh. And maybe you heard recently about the woman who was named Jesus. In Birmingham, Alabama, court official says a Birmingham woman who legally changed her name to Jesus Christ had a hard time filling the Savior's shoes when she reported for jury duty. Christ, formerly Dorothy Lola Killingsworth, went to the courtroom where she was summoned to appear for jury selection. She was one of many potential jurors for a criminal case. And during the process, the 59-year-old woman was said to be disruptive as she constantly asked questions Instead of answering them, the judge had had enough and dismissed the woman from the courtroom. Other potential jurors were shocked when she insisted that her name indeed was Jesus Christ. And some burst into laughter as her name was called. Why did that woman change her name to Jesus Christ? I have no idea. But if she was thinking in terms of being comparable to Christ, then she was totally wrong. No human person 
can fill the shoes of the Lord Jesus Christ even though he appeared on earth in human form. It's not going to happen. Jesus was both human and divine, 100% human, 100% God. How do I know that? Well, I don't have to look very far. I just have to read John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that, was, that has come into being. Verse 14 of the same first chapter. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace of truth. Now that word, word, comes from the Greek word logos. It's Jesus is the word. It would not be wrong if we said this. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. You see, it's the word here, word, logos, that is used to describe Jesus. Whether you even just you say Jesus Christ or word. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Prince of Peace, all the same person. And John makes it quite clear. Jesus is God, the Word. It's like the Word of God was a lie. Everything Jesus spoke was the Word of God. You think about that. Every word he spoke was the word of God, could be fit in this book as the word of God. You know, you and I sometimes, we quote other people, don't we? They aren't our words. They're somebody else's words. We're just repeating them. But everything Jesus spoke were his words, the word of God. Not only is he God, but then he says in verse 14, John said, he was, he came in the flesh. How do I know he came in the flesh? Read the scriptures and see. People who were sick just wanted to be able to reach out and touch him. You don't do that to an apparition. If this table wasn't there, but I can see a table, I'm reaching, it's like, I can't touch it. It can be a hologram. It's there, but... I can't touch it. No, they could touch Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They drank with Jesus. They were in a boat with Jesus. What's the thing that Thomas wanted after Jesus resurrected? He said, I'll not believe until I can what? Touch, touch him. I want to put my hand where the scars, where the wounds are in his hand, in his feet. I want to put my hand in his side. Where the spear was stuck in there. You know what Jesus did when Thomas finally, go ahead, Thomas. Right there. Put your hand there. Somebody give me some fish. 
I'll prove it. You know, a ghost can't eat. Jesus took fish and ate for them to show that he was in the flesh. How could God do that? How could Jesus be both human and divine? Well, as Mr. Havner said, I don't understand it, but I stand on it. I'm going to tell you right now, brothers and sisters, you're going to read things in here that's going to I'll use this term that quote unquote blow your mind. You're going to say, how, how is that? How could that happen? How in the world did Jesus walk on water? How did Peter jump out of the boat and walk on water? I don't know. I don't fully understand, but I stand on it. That's you know what that's called? Simple. It's called faith. You know what? I'm not smart enough to be a rocket scientist. And I don't always understand how you can put the rocket fuel in that big heavy rocket that stands about three or four stories in the air and then somebody plushes a button and sets it on fire and it's burning and it takes off up in there in the sky and floats around up there in space somewhere and eventually comes down and lands on earth. Now I don't know how they do that, but by golly, I stand on it. I've seen it. I've watched it on TV. I don't know how they do it, but I believe it. So I don't have to understand everything that God says and does. But by faith I accept it. And when we get to where we understand everything about God, guess what? God will cease to be God, won't he? However, that will never happen. Man already thinks he is smarter than God, but the end is yet to be seen. Someone wrote, not, not one recognized leader as Moses, Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad ever claimed to be God. Jesus is the only person who has ever convinced a great portion of the world that he is God. And this claim can either be true or false. If false, Jesus either knew he, his claims were false and he lied, or he was deluded as a lunatic. If Jesus knowingly lied, he was the world's greatest hypocrite and a charlatan of the worst kind. He would also be the greatest fool for what person would die for a lie. And if Jesus was deluded, how could his precepts help so many people for so long a time? Excuse me. His critics and enemies had nothing but the highest accolades for his character. There is no other choice. Either Jesus is a liar and a lunatic, or he is Lord of all. It's that simple. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Just hear these words that Paul wrote. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jew, Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see, your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, but many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him who are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and the righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that is, that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let me ask you, does it not seem foolish that a, a, a young virgin woman gives birth to the Son of God? Not only does that seem crazy, but God's own son was born in a stable and laid in a manger. That sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? But that's the way God works. And who's the foolish one? The one who believes that or the one who doesn't? I don't have to understand it, but I stand on it. C.S. Lewis observed, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. So who is he? Who is he? He's the son of God, Jesus Christ. You see, we have the soothing comfort of myrrh, Christ, who he is. Number two, Christ, what he did. God is sitting in heaven when a scientist prays to him. God, we don't need you anymore. Science has finally figured out a way to create life out of nothing. In other words, we can now do what you did in the beginning. And God says, oh, is that so? So tell me. Well, said the scientist, we can take dirt and form it into the likeness of you and breathe life into it, thus creating man. Well, that's interesting. Show me. So the scientist bends down to the earth and starts to mold the soil. Oh, no, 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 interrupts God. Get your own dirt. What did Christ do? Well, for one thing, he created heaven and earth. Remember the scripture from John 1, 1 through 3? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In other words, Jesus was there creating. It says in the beginning, you can figure that's the first recorded day. So when God the Father... God the Son, who's called the Word, 
and the Holy Spirit were all three involved in creation. Jesus was apparently alongside his father during the creation process. And again, how did this happen? I don't have to understand it, but I stand on it. I always like to say, you know, if there's going to be opportunity in heaven to look back at events, that's what I want to see. If I'm in heaven and God say, what would you like to see? And I say, can you show me creation? Because that had to be really something. How you... You just spoke, God, and it happened. God said, let there be light. Boom! There was light. What was it like? I don't know. But I stand on it that it happened. And then he went from there. What did Jesus come to earth to do? Besides create man. According to an old legend, a man became lost in his travels and wandered into a bed of quicksand. Confucius saw the man's predicament and said, It is evident that men should stay out of places such as this. Buddha observed the situation as he came along. He said, Let that man's plight be a lesson to the rest of the world. And then Muhammad came by and said to the sinking man, Alas! It is the will of God. And finally Jesus appeared. He said, take my hand, brother, and I will save you. Jesus came to save us from the sinking sand of sin. Don't ask me to say that more than once. The sinking sand of sin. And sin is a quick sand of death to all of us, isn't it? The pronouncement from the angel to Joseph, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Remember what he said? She will bear a son... You shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. And Jesus said in Mark 10, 43 through 45, but it, reading back, the, the disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus said, but it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then in Romans 6.23, we're told, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. At just the right time, Christ appeared in human form to save us. At just the right time. Of course, it wasn't just his appearances that saved us. It was his death on the cross. He came to save us, not because we were righteous, not because we were just such good people, but rather because we were sinners and enslaved to sin. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wound you were healed. In a sense, Christ traded places with us. He became the slain sinner on the cross when it should have been all of us. We should have been on that cross. When they were mocking, it should have been me hanging up there, not Jesus. When they were saying, Cole, come down, it should have been me. 
Should have been me bleeding there. It should have been me whose back was split open. Jesus showed how much he loved me by hanging on that cross for me, taking my punishment. Guess what? Could have been you as well. And Jesus hung there for you. Matthew 18, 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. He came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Brothers and sisters, you and I are never going to get a chance to be with God in heaven for an eternity if we don't come to Jesus, to the saving grace of Jesus, accepting the saving grace of Jesus, accepting God's plan of salvation and being obedient to it, and coming to heaven through Jesus. We're not going to get there. It's that simple. And that should be soothing comfort for us. Just like myrrh is. It's what Jesus did when he came. And how important that is to us. To that little baby in a manger that we see every December 25th. But we've, we're really missing out the blessing if we don't see what he did 33 years later. Now, Christ, what we owe him. A drunk stumbles along a baptismal service on Sunday afternoon down by the river, and he proceeds to walk into the water and stand next to the preacher. And the minister notices the old drunk and says, Mister, are you ready to find Jesus? And the drunk looks back and says, Yes, preacher, I sure am. And the minister dunks the fellow under the water and pulls him right back up. And he says, have you found Jesus? And the drone says, no, I didn't. The preacher then dunks him under the, uh, for quite a bit longer, and he brings him back up. He says, now, brother, have you found Jesus? And the drone says, no, I have not, preacher. And the preacher, in disgust, holds the man under for at least 30 seconds. And he brings him up out of the water, and he says in a harsh tone, have you found Jesus yet? And the old drunk wipes his eyes and said to the preacher, Are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> Let me ask you. What do we owe Jesus? What do we owe Jesus? And here's the answer. We owe Jesus everything. We owe him surrender. We owe him obedience. We owe him faith and attention and attendance. Some people argue against being baptized as if it means nothing. But it does mean something because Jesus commanded it. And even Jesus himself was baptized, although we're not baptized the same reason for as he was. Brothers and sisters, we owe Christ our very lives, considering what he did for us. He didn't just create us. He doesn't just provide for our daily needs. He doesn't just watch over us at night. He became sin for us. I think we owe him a great deal more than he gives to us, don't we? In 2 Corinthians 5.9, we read, Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, 
to be pleasing to him. To be pleasing to him. What do we owe Christ? What should we do for him? We should walk with him daily. We should seek to please him in all things. We should focus on him more than we focus on the things of this world. We should be his witnesses. We should rightfully do everything he commands considering what he did for us. We can never repay the debt we owe save to give our lives in faithful service to Jesus. There's a movie was made a few years back called The Blind Side. Maybe you saw it. had uh, Tim McGraw in the movie, uh, Sandra Bullock. <coughs> it was based on a true story about a, a young man named Michael Orr. He was an offensive lineman who played for the Baltimore Ravens in the NFL. But prior to this time, he was a homeless 18-year-old boy from a broken home. And he would wander the streets. And eventually he was taken in by Sean and Leanne Tui a well-to-do couple in Memphis, Tennessee, who helped him fulfill his potential. And recognizing his potential talent as a football player, they encouraged him. Living in his new environment, the 18-year-old faced a completely different set of challenges. As a football player and student, Orr worked hard, and with the help of his coaches and adopted family, became an All-American offensive left tackle in college and was drafted to play in the NFL. The other interesting thing is the Tuley family were white and Michael Orr is black. But that didn't matter to either couple. To the couple that adopted him or Michael. Michael now had a family who cared about him. And brothers and sisters, you can imagine how indebted Michael Orr must feel toward the Tuley family. And I'm sure he wants to do his very best to make them proud of him and honor them with his life. But that's nothing in comparison to how indebted we are to Christ. The Tui family gave Michael Orr a home, education, and love. Christ gave us everything, including a home in heaven. Christ sacrificed his all for us. And all he asked is that we give our life to him. I'd like to bring this to a close. There was once a wife so jealous that when her husband came home one night, and she couldn't find hairs on his jacket. She yelled at him, "Great! So now you're cheating with me, uh, cheating on me with a bald woman." <laughs> now I wonder sometimes if God doesn't feel this way toward us. I wonder if He doesn't feel like we're cheating on Him. We're supposed to love Him most of all, but often we have fallen in love with this world or the things of this world. We have a divided devotion. At Christmas, we think of him. Maybe even every Sunday, we think more of him. But what about Monday through Saturday? It's Christmas, and I think we should think more of him and less of this world. And those wonderful thoughts should continue forward each day. You see, the soothing comfort of myrrh for Christmas is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. who he is it's what he did and it's what we owe him it's that simple it's really not hard I 
once heard a preacher say, you know, the things in the Bible that I don't understand don't scare me. The things in the Bible that I do understand that scare me. What do you mean by that? I think it was quite simple. He's saying, you know, those things I understand means I can understand I need to do them or not do them. And it scares me when I don't do what I should do. It scares me when I do what I shouldn't do. And that scares me. <coughs> God did not write a book that we couldn't understand. The key is this. Do we want to understand? Do we really want to understand? God has put a lot of simple things in the Bible. They really are simple. Do we want to understand? Do we want to accept? It's that simple. And some people say, it don't sound that simple to me. Really? Let's start with salvation. Now, how many of us in here, you don't have to raise your hand, but just think about it. How many of you want to go to hell? Well, that's a pretty stupid question, preacher. You're talking to the people who came to worship this morning. None of these people want to go to hell. I know. And maybe in this small group of people, there's nobody in here that hasn't accepted Jesus already. Because I know, I'll be honest, I don't know all your situations. But maybe there's somebody who hasn't accepted Jesus. So it's like, everybody in here, nobody wants to go to hell, and everybody wants to go to heaven. So, But I've preached in some church buildings where there are four or 500 people. And I guarantee not everybody was there that could say they were going to heaven, for sure. They might think they were okay. So what would I say to them? I'd say, just like I said to you, it's quite simple. God says he sent a plan of salvation. It started with his son hanging on a cross. Can you accept that? He died up there so you could have your sin completely washed away, forgiven, gone. Not a single one. God will not bring them up again. That's simple. Oh, you have to do accepted by faith. I might not understand it, but I'll stand on it. By faith. It all starts with faith. Hebrews says, 11.6, Without faith it's impossible to please him. So see, it has to be a starting point with God. It starts with faith. So we believe by faith, that Jesus is who he said he was. Now that faith, it's awesome because as we accept things by faith, it starts to work. It puts things into action. Because then that faith gets us to understand, the Bible says, to repent. Repent is just a Bible word that means have a change of heart. Get away from the sinful life you've been living and want to live a righteous life for God. To do the things he wants you to do. It's quite simple. Faith gets you to change your mind. That's all repentance means. Then all those things I've been doing that aren't working for me. I can let them I can have my sins forgiven. All that stuff gone. Faith also does another great thing. It gets in there and it's working. That I'm willing to use my mouth and say Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son of the living God. In other words, I make confession with my mouth who Jesus is. You know, in Jesus' day, that was one of the big hang-ups. 
you've said who Jesus was, you might get stoned. You might be beheaded. Somebody had doing some serious persecution on you. That's all it means. Faith causes us to confess Jesus. Then faith continues the work. It's got us repenting. It has us confessing. And then it has us getting into the baptistry. Where we're immersed. The word baptizo in the Greek means to immerse, dip, or plunge. It doesn't mean to sprinkle. It doesn't mean to pour water on you. It means to immerse. And you are raised up. For the scripture says you're raised in newness of life. In other words, when you go down, you go down a sinner and you come up a saint. Scripture teaches that. If your sins have been washed away, you've been filled with God's Holy Spirit. You are a new creation. You see, God's still in the creation business. Just like he created the beginning, day one, he's still in the creation business because he makes a new creature up out of that water. And now what? Now is when your faith really grinds and it's going full speed now. It's walking faithfully in Jesus. And you're walking on that road to heaven. Now that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Pretty simple. When we read in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, where Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And someone say, see, it doesn't say if you don't believe and are baptized, you'll be condemned. It doesn't have to. If you can't start with belief, then baptism means nothing. You see how important baptism is? And why Tom preaches about it, teaches about it often, because it's important. Oh, come on, come on. Emmanuel is our hymn of invitation this morning. Page 186. <laughs> I invite you to stand. We're going to sing this. Take two verses. You have a decision to make. You want to give your life to Jesus. You come this morning as we sing.
those of you who might realize you need Jesus and have him come forward today. Maybe this afternoon you'll realize it's always available. Go ahead and have a seat. Tim's going to sing a special song for us. And then I'll back up here and I'll pray and we'll just... Mary, did you know that your baby boy one day walk on water? Mary, did you know